Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Okay, so today we're talking about connecting to the message of your medium. I like how you dropped it. Just like there's no there's no dicking around today. No, <laughs> sometimes put it straight yeah. out. Yeah, you don't want to some... mess around today. <laughs> sometimes we dick around at the start. Yeah, I was re-listening to our first podcast. By the way, we really <laughs> we almost should just cut the whole beginning. <laughs> As just we're trying like, to figure out, uh, we're doing a podcast. We don't uh, know how we're talking about. <laughs> Hopefully you'll like it. Maybe not. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> what will we say? But uh, things have got a lot more relaxed, you know, since then. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So let's, let's discuss this. Um, I think uh, you and I have both been on a little pre-talk. We've been going through a lot of growth and change and realizations. Yeah. And um, for me, I've definitely started to realize that I've, I've had some major shifts. I mean, I've had really about, it's really been a week or two of like heart to hearts with myself and checking in with like, what do I really want? And, you know, uh, and just trying to work through some things and processing some things. And, um, with these screenplays and things, I always thought I wanted to write, well, I shouldn't say always, but for a while I was really interested in like war type films and really like big action films. And then I got really interested in criminal thrillers and, um, I had a realization, uh, and I was telling you this before, but I had a realization that, you know, these criminal thrillers, I don't know if I want to write like blue collar criminal thrillers. You know, I don't, I don't know if the world needs really any more of those. I mean, there's so many cop dramas and gritty. Everyone's like, I'm going to make my movie so gritty, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and nobody's ever really as gritty as it actually is either. I mean, very rarely. And I think that when they are, they're, they're too gritty and there's not enough humor and enough lightness mm-hmm. or there's too much lightness and it doesn't have the grittiness. But if you're going to do it, you got to find that balance. But I started to realize I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, of all the options that I could write, is that really what I wanted to do? And I, and I started kind of doing more research on the criminal world and really how dark and violent it really is. And I started to go, you know, I think, I think I don't want to propagate this idea that blue collar crime is really our big concern in society today. I think that it's white collar crime. I think it's things like people, you know, shysters, uh, people in power who are political people who are in leadership positions who are abusing it, you know? Um, and also, you know, if I'm going to do a crime type movie, I want to kind of venture into things that are unexplored. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's enough cop movies that are made. There are enough gang movies that are made. We know there's enough mafia movies that are made. You know what I mean? So yeah. anyway, this was a kind of a discovery for me. Yeah. I think that's a, an incredible discovery and, uh, obviously provided us with a great sort of fuel for our, our topic today. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's looking at, you know, art is always supposed to reflect what's going on in our world, you know, today, you like, even it, even sometimes if you do like a period piece, like oftentimes those are done to show that like, well, we're still dealing with these, these issues today. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, there's not blue collar criminals and mobs and mafias like are there, of course there are, but you know, it's like from the sounds of what you're saying, it's now exploring, well, 
what is making it necessary for these people to be in this position, mm-hmm. you know, and that might be that sort of that white collar criminal or these sort of things that are happening at a higher level. Yeah. You know, not to stir any sort of a political <laughs> conversation necessarily well, on this <laughs> right now. Well, I think, um, it, when it comes to crime, like if you look at the crime movies that are made like Sicario and it's talking about, you know, right now the Mexican cartel, which is at this day and age has been huge. It's been massive. And it's a, it's a really big concern in Mexico right now. Um, and really across the world because it's, um, you know, there's a lot of power and, uh, the authorities are, are definitely caught up in it, you know, and, um, and as Sicario even shows are even complicit yes. in it, you know, which is like, uh, was a take on the whole thing that I'd never seen before. Right. Which if you haven't seen Sicario, like one of the best films of last year that was just so overlooked by, you know, the, the awards and, and stuff, not, that those things matter. It was a great film. Yeah. <laughs> so go and see it if you haven't. Totally. And I think, um, I think we've always been kind of fascinated with ideas of police corruption and just like, what's that dark world like, you know, uh, you know, I think that's why the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and stuff and these movies or shows do really well. Um, because, you know, they venture us into a world, but you know, in, in many ways, like I'm looking at it as a, as, as a creator and I go, well, do I want to just kind of piggyback off of what someone else has done? Um, you know, the departed is one of my favorite movies, but you know, that now that that's been explored, I I'm thinking more like, okay, well now where can I take it beyond that? Like, right. Like to not do anything that is, is, is the same or is a me too quality type of thing, you know? And so, um, also, um, looking at that, it spurred on my, my personal voice, my artistic voice and going, well, what kind of stories do I want to tell? I always thought I wanted to, to tell that type of story, but you know, I'm, I think I'm maturing and evolving and, um, I'm changing my, my direction and my awareness about the world. You know, when I was younger, um, you know, I, one of the first, or I think it was the second or third movie I made was, um, I actually, I made a Vietnam film. And, um, before that I actually made this film, which was like about, uh, basically like special ops soldiers or whatever, yeah. but I was like a little kid. So, you know, it was pretty amateur, but yeah. whatever we tried it out. We used fireworks for explosions and crap like that. But, um, and it was a lot of fun, you know, but at the time, you know, at that age, it, you know, war and, and that type of stuff was kind of fun and interesting. But now, like when I look at war and I look at violence, I don't look at it the same way. So it's harder for me to, it's harder for me to kind of do that and be like, oh, well it's, it, it's changed. It's evolved, you know? And I yeah. think that this is, this is part of our topic. I think as artists, we evolve and we need to listen to our voice because what we like to do at one point in our life might not be the same later on. Oh yeah. That's what I'm finding, you know? Yeah. And, and the, I mean, we've talked about like the importance of theme and stuff and, and I mean, we, obviously we focus very, very much on like the film world and the acting world and that sort of thing. But I, I think the same thing applies to, you know, whether you're, uh, an artist or you are a musician, you know, it's, you're communicating something, you know, and, and it's important to really be in touch with, with, with yourself, you know, like, and that doesn't mean you, you only make it for yourself. I think it's important that, you know, it's, it is a communicate, art is a communicative 
type of thing to do. Mm -hmm. So if people don't understand what you're saying, then it's really just for you. And then what's the point of that? Right. Um, but it's important to be in touch with, you know, what you think, where you stand, you know, and maybe you'll change your mind about something later, but you know, artists needs to be immediate. You know, there needs to be an immediacy to it. That's just like, this needs to be, to be said, this is your truth as it is right now Mm -hmm. and, and speak it and, and be aware of what those ideas are that you're speaking because they have an effect. You know, they really do like, don't think that they, that they don't. I was, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I know we, we say we don't like to rip on, (laughs) on things here every once in a while, but every once in a while, and I'm not going to like, just, you know, whatever, like, because this was, I shouldn't have really expected anything different, but, um, I watched, uh, a few weeks ago, I watched fast and furious (laughs) six, which I don't, yeah, I guess the sixth one, the iteration, I don't know where that falls in line with like how, however many others there were. And, you know, it's like the, the over the top action and, you know, all of that good stuff, which is, which is fun. But the thing that was kind of alarming to me, <laughs> like actually alarming to me was, um, really like the, the shallowness of, of its ideas and of its messages. Hmm. You know, there was like somewhat of some concepts of, you know, family and loyalty in it, but it was so, it was so covered and hidden underneath a lot of what I thought very superficial, narcissistic, egoistic centered concepts, you know, where it was just like, it's about the money and it's about the violence and it's about, you know, the, the, hundred, you know, pound soaking wet model girlfriends. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, like, this is like, it was, it was offensive to me in that it was just like, this is, what is this saying mm-hmm. about the world? Like, what is it saying about what's important in the world? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting <laughs> because uh, when I was younger and people, um, who were maybe a little bit more wiser, a little more educated than me, would say, well, you know, there's, there's troubling things about these types of movies. You know what I mean? Uh, granted, I haven't seen that one. So bear in mind that I don't, I don't know, but there's, there's a reason why I didn't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it does damage. It, it really does do damage to your, your psyche because, and I know this for myself is, um, you know, when you see these types of movies and you know, you're usually a teenager is going to be watching this stuff and it's fun, you know, like I'm not going to say that it's not fun and it's cool and, you know, fast cars and money and a certain lifestyle. Yeah. And it's It's nice to imagine and play in that area. But, and I'm not saying this movie alone does the damage, but it's a, in some ways it contributes to it. And, you know, I remember there was a point in my life where, you know, I just realized like I was so indoctrinated into this idea that I basically had to have a supermodel girlfriend. I had to be super wealthy I had to be super famous. I had to have power. I had to be the alpha. I had to be better than everybody else. And all yeah. these ideas, they're getting projected. Six pack abs. Yeah, exactly. Which, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with health. Nothing wrong with health. But uh, anyway, so the, the thing is, is, well, you know, and what if you don't? But the thing is, is that you, you look at this stuff and you go, well, that's what I have to do to be okay in this world. And so then you grow up and well, very few of us 
are going to experience the extent of that in all of those areas at once. You know, we might succeed a little bit here or a little bit there, but you know, very few of us are going to get all of that at once. And, you know, and I found in life, you know, you're, there's always an area to work on yourself and there's always something that kind of feels like it's not quite enough, especially when you're kind of ego driven, you know? And, um, I think these movies, unfortunately, they actually set people up for trouble later in life. And I know in certain ways they did me cause I had to work through a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, um, valuing and I, and, and it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, yeah, you got to be physically attracted to someone, but valuing looks to the point where, you know, someone has to look a certain way before you're even like, you're satisfied because that's some kind of, I don't know, validation of you as a man or whatever. And, and then, you know, um, for women also on the, on the reverse, they have to look a certain way. Otherwise they're not valid as a woman. You know what I mean? And so we have these, these ideas put on us over and over and over again. And if the movie has like no messages whatsoever, we get caught in it. And you know, I, I, I know grown adults who are older than me, who are definitely caught in this still, and they'll even fight for it. They'll fight for, no, this is the way it is. This is good. And it's yeah. like, is it creating a lot of joy in your life or is it causing you a lot of pain? And I, I tell you, if, if there's something that's causing you a lot of pain or you're really deathly scared to lose it, then you, you, that's a red flag. That's a warning sign, you know? And I think, um, as artists, and I'm not saying that everybody's in these mediums to be artists, you know, some yeah. people are in to make money and entertain and that's it. And that's fine. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, if you're looking at yourself as someone who the impact you want to leave on the world, and if you're really connecting to your voice, you're going to probably start to find that as you mature with your art, you're going to start to want to have deeper messages. I would say when I was younger, my messages in my movies, superficial, big time, you know, yeah. just, and I remember having a talk with a guy at, at a restaurant I was working at when I was about 17, 18 years old. And he said, you know, what kind of movie do you want to make? And I told him, I want to make a big blockbuster war movie action, you know, blah, blah. He's like, oh, really? And he was a bit older than me. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm not really so much into those types of movies now. I'm more into like these political movies, more something that kind of moves society forward. And at the time I remember being like, why do you want to make that crap? Yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, as you get older, you start to go, no, that's the kind of movie I want to make. But I think what, you know, you're, you just mature as you get older. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, and I can relate to that. Like I had lots of ideas of like, you know, when I was a young actor and, and first, first starting out and auditioning and stuff like, yeah, it was dreams of like being in these movies where it's like, you are the hero who finishes the battle, like, like bruised and bloody, but not beaten. And, you know, and there's, there's, I guess some metaphors that can be put in there, but you know, and like some symbolism, what that can stand for. But I, again, I think that oftentimes the way that a lot of that sort of material is handled is it glosses over like, uh, you know, some of the truth of it. I mean, war is, is ugly. Mm-hmm. War is a horrible thing. War mm-hmm. is like probably the most awful thing that exists in our world, mm-hmm. but we, we'd still glorify it to a large degree. Yeah. You know, like, and, um, you know, and, and so it's, again, not that you can't do a war movie. I I like what a lot of more recent things have been handling. Like, uh, like the hurt locker was something that was really, really terrific. Yeah. Exploring some other sides of war. It's like, Hey, let's take a real look at this. You know, like let's put the, you know, all of the stuff that we've seen already before and like the courage and that, that it's like, yeah, no, absolutely. Like I won't deny 
the stones you got to have to put yourself into that situation. But we're still talking about doing something destructive. Mm -hmm. We're still talking about people killing each other, Mm -hmm. you know, in the name of who knows what, right? But it's... (laughs) (laughs) We are going political. No. (laughs) But, you know, it's like these things that that are exploring these things that have been neglected in in these sort of genres and, and yeah. And like, it it was, it's one of those things where you start to like, you know, and, and maybe you do, you are thinking about writing, uh, or making a film or doing a piece of work that is within that is within the realm of, you know, these sort of violent things and, and whatever there, I'm not saying that that's something that you can't or shouldn't do. Um, but just be really super aware and conscious about what you're communicating within that, you know, because you can communicate all kinds of messages through all sorts of different types of stories. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's about being responsible because it it is like these things, like where you, you meet people who, who are, are kind of following the sort of the, the cookie cutter pattern of life, you know, that, you know, of, of, oh yeah, this is how you do things, you know? And like, once you do this and you go to university and then you get your career and then you, and then you get your wife and then you get your house and then you get, you know, your kids and, and blah, 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 you know, like that, that kind of crap. There's, that's a very obvious one. There's lots of sort of more subtle ways in which I think that works in our, our culture. Yeah. But, um, and that, it's, sorry. Yeah. Well, not that there's anything wrong with doing kind of the, like, I think these cookie cutter systems, these ways of living, they have a lot of value in them and there's a reason yeah. why we do them, you know, but thinking that you have to, and also, um, you know, I think, I think where the problem comes in and I know this to be true for myself is that <clears throat> when I was younger as an artist, I spent a lot of time thinking more about myself and what I wanted to do and less about what my art would communicate. Yeah. Now I'd say as I've matured, it's more about what my art will communicate. And yeah. so, and I think every day that, um, you know, I, I do more of this, I think more about the messages I'm communicating and what I want to communicate at the same time. I do think like, you know, as, as a filmmaker, I, I will say, I honestly believe that if you've never made a film to just go out and don't worry so much about your message, just go out and make a film get, you know, get your feet wet, you know, go there and try and play. And, you know, don't worry so much about doing it perfect and having the right message. But if you are someone who's really thinking about, you know, you want to make an impact and maybe you have a little bit of experience or, or whatever, maybe you're willing to spend the time. As long as spending the time doesn't stop you from actually taking action. I think it's good for you to think about the messages that you're going to put forward. Yeah. And we, we did a great podcast, um, really early on about, uh, like theme. Yeah. Um, with, with screwing and, with and Kat. yeah, with cat. And, um, and we were talking a little bit about, you know, what a Pixar's rules of storytelling, which was, it's great to go for theme, but you won't really know what your, what your movie's about until you've finished writing it mm-hmm. now rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it, it like try for something, but I understand what you're saying. Like if, especially if you've never done it before, you know, like don't get to hunker down into like trying to make something perfect. I mean, yeah. that's, that's advice for at any stage, but especially when you're starting out, there's a lot of that can intimidate you about getting into it. 
but um, there, there's nothing wrong with with trying to to say something, mm-hmm. you know. And and yeah, I think that what we're we're talking about is really getting connected to that, getting connected to your own voice, um, and and I think also recognizing when maybe you're you're putting out a message that's that's coming from in ego place, right? Being able to recognize that because when that happens, I think you're going down like a path for some trouble. But I mean, again, obviously these types of movies are, are being made, but it's all, it all comes down to what's good enough for you. Mm -hmm. Like, are, will you, would you be okay putting out a movie that, you know, uh, glorifies, you know, violence and, you know, might is right kind of, kind of a thing. Like for myself, that's not something that I want to put out there. Mm-hmm. So I, that's not what I'm going to do. That doesn't mean that I won't necessarily work with subjects that deal with violence. Right. But it's all on how you're going to treat it. Yeah. Well, you know, and some people, some people are in a place in their life where they really like violence. It's really entertaining and interesting to them. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, and I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I've seen enough violence where I've seen real violence, you know, violence where it's when you see real violence, I'm not talking about movie violence. I'm talking about real violence. When you see real violence, it's not fun. No, you know, and there's, there's like, it's a sinking feeling like in your stomach when you see real violence. And, um, if you're not feeling that sinking feeling, I think what's happening is you're probably so disconnected from, you know, you're, you're separating yourself so much from the whole thing. But if, if you tap into your empathy at all, your compassion at all, you know, and, and, and feel that, you know, um, for example, seeing a fight and then seeing someone stomp on someone else's head, you know, like that, you know, in the movies, when someone's down on the ground and someone's punching them, you, you kind of see the, you know, you might see that and, and, and the guy gets up and he's got a couple cuts on his head, but like, you know, what people don't realize, like, I think when kids don't realize when they're watching this violence is if that happens in real life, like people, and, and this is, this is going darker here, but people's skulls get caved in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people have permanent damage. They don't get out and you're this action hero with a couple cuts and bruises. Like yeah. you, you, you could have serious damage as a human being for the rest of your life. So when you see real violence, it's, you know, it is, it, it can rock you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that, uh, this almost like light playful side of violence, um, you know, when it's, when it's done in the right context, when it's playful, but it's like a, say video game, you know what I mean? Or a superhero almost it's, it's in a way, like, I don't know, we're, we're, we're looking at it going, okay, well, these are, these are not normal circumstances. These are superhero circumstances. So in some ways, like throwing a guy across the sky into a building, like, you know, and <laughs> you know, like even like I think of the Batman Superman, right? Like, and Batman's getting thrown into these through brick, like cement walls. I mean, I don't care what your suit is, but you're probably going to be breaking a lot of bones, you know what I mean? In reality, if that was happening, but because a superhero movie, we go, okay, well, these are, we want the superhero movie to be big. So, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I, I don't think like, and and I, I, you know, uh, Fast and Furious, I haven't seen them all granted, but 
that's kind of like. Which be that I I've enjoyed some of those those movies. Yeah. I've seen a few of them, and people kind of understand. Okay, well, it's not reality or whatever. But I think um, when people try to make a gritty film, you know, which is kind of the avenue that I'm going down right now with the Burning Blues, where we're going down the gritty road of filmmaking, where we want it to be. Because when I did my first draft, it was kind of. I mean, I would say it was a lighter, it was a little more playful, it had a lot more humor, but it was not like as serious of like what Undercover would really be like. The newest draft is a lot more serious and then the next draft is even going more into the reality. But as you get more into the gritty, you almost want to get away from the violence because one little bit of real violence speaks for like a hundred pieces of playful violence. Like, yeah. and I don't playful, but like light superhero violence, yeah. like, like one real bit of violence. Like that's why Sicario I think was so powerful because when you saw violence, it was the real deal or it seemed yeah. like vicious. Right. But you, you know, if you look at that movie, it actually doesn't have as, it has violence, but compared to like, you know, all these fight scenes and these other movies. Yeah. Anyway, my point is, is that um, I don't think, I don't think violence is bad, but I think like, you know, as we, as we create our art, we want to kind of, I think we want to kind of really check in with ourselves, you know, yeah. about it. Right. And, and also you want to think about what are you leaving behind too? Right. And I yeah. think that's important. Are you being conscious of this stuff? And I mean, it's, yeah. And, and I've heard, especially like while we're on the topic of like violence and uh, like, I think that, you know, it's one of those, those situations where, uh, thing like there's certain, especially in the film world, things got sort of, there were, there were films that were successful and then people tried to copy it, but then they missed the kind of the point, you know, because when I think of like a lot of movies, like these, like mob or mafia movies that got really big, you know, you have to look at a lot of those movies from like the seventies, you know, like the Godfather and then, you know, Scorsese, yeah, like mean streets and, and, you know, those types of, uh, those types of things. But the thing is like, it wasn't because of the violence that they were successful, you Mm -hmm. know, like they told a story, they told, they told very intimate stories. Uh, and the violence, like I know from reading, uh, Martin Scorsese's, um, one of Martin Scorsese's books that, you know, when he went into violence, he treated it the way he did because that's how he understood violence from his upbringing, Hmm. you know, like up to that point, like nobody had seen violence treated that way. Um, like, cause up to that, like it was very, a lot of it was quite superficial, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like old Westerns and stuff like that. People get shot. They kind of clutch themselves. They keel (laughs) over, you know, it's, or they don't really show you anything. And, you know, I know, uh, Martin Scorsese from his, like this neighborhood and stuff. He's like, violence came out of nowhere and it was just sudden and it was vicious. And that's how he presented it as best he could in his movies. And then suddenly it became this thing like, Oh yeah, like violent, violent sort of mob movies are, are the thing. And it's just like, well, that wasn't really, that wasn't, it wasn't a fad type of, of idea. Like he wanted to portray violence in a way that was, was real. Hmm. And that's why it was like so much of the way that I love the way that he handles it because you do get a very real visceral sense of, of these actions and these people and, and where it's coming from. And it's, and it's ugly, mm-hmm. you know, it's really ugly. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why that's, even though he, 
he continues to deal a lot with like violence, Martin Scorsese, for whatever reason, you know, he feels compelled to, to continue to work in that way. But I, I think he's a guy who, if you're looking for somebody who is very conscious about how they're treating it, he's one of them for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, like I think when, uh, like in a, in a, in a fight, like in a, a, I've been in fights, you know, I've been in a few when I was younger, you know, um, I was bullied a bit and there's, there's a few times where I had to stand up for myself and fight. And, um, fortunately my parents taught me, you know, they, they put me in Taekwondo and kickboxing, whatever. So I knew how to, I knew how to fight. Most fights end in one punch. It's really, you usually end, and, and I always found it didn't matter really. I remember one time when I was uh, in grade six, there was a real big kid and, uh, we're playing football and he, uh, was pushing me around and then everybody circled around us. And I was a little kid. I mean, I was little at, at grade six. He was a big guy. And I remember he pushing me and he's bullying me and every, and, and everybody's like, yeah, fight, fight, fight. <clears throat> and I remember he, uh, I remember it was like, it was getting to the point. And I remember I just stepped in and I hit him square in the square in like basically the cheek and the jaw. And he was just out cold and it was like over. And, and, and the thing about, the thing about a fight in reality, like it usually ends really, really quick. It's not like these, like, unless someone doesn't know how to fight and they're frailing, like punches at each other. If someone knows how to fight, it's a fight is almost over instantaneously. And when someone gets knocked out, it's kind of disturbing. Like, yeah. I mean, you see this in UFC and everyone's like, Oh, you know, someone got knocked out. But, um, you know what? That's not so bad. You know, when someone gets knocked out, standing up, they get punched They're you know, whatever, fine. Okay. You fall, usually you fall. It's pretty ugly but it's when people are laying on the ground and someone starts beating on them or kicking them while they're down. And, and there's just like that type of violence is where things get like, I mean, I'm not saying that fist fighting and whatever is, is good. I don't think people should necessarily do that. Yeah. But when people get on the ground and start beating someone un, who's unconscious and not defending themselves because they're angry. I mean, that's where you're getting into like, I mean, that's, that's scary shit to me. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, and, and I, and I think about, okay, first world, North America, Canada, <laughs> the violence that I've seen, I just imagine like, like, um, I, I was talking with a friend literally just uh, a couple days ago, they were living down in Los Angeles and they were telling me that their brother got shot at like, um, you know, by, by like a local gang that was in the area or whatever. And he called his mom and he was like crying, <laughs> you know? And like, the thing is, is you think in a movie, oh yeah, I got shot at, but it's like, like, I think when you start to realize like, Hey, I could die. Like when you start to actually like, cause I think there's this kind of, when I remember when I was younger, there's kind of this invincibility. I felt like, yeah, like I'll never die. Like I could, you know, but, um, uh, I'll tell you another story that I had. I remember there was a, like a kind of a Korean kind of gang in our high school, uh, a group of kids. They weren't really a gang, but they were a group of kids that walked around and they were intimidating. You know, they were yeah. pretty intimidating. And one time I remember, uh, we were in, uh, we were in, uh, one of our classes and one of the bigger guys was there and he said something, which I guess I took as a joke, but he thought I was making fun of him. And I thought we were laughing together, but I walked out at lunch hour, him and like six of his buddies pinned me against the wall and told me they were going to kill me. 
And, you know, and I was like, like, and of course they didn't do anything. And I apologize. I'm like, you know, I was just like, I had no idea that that upset you. Right. But, but like, even the, even (laughs) just this being in that spot, you know what I mean? Like it was very real to me at the moment, you know, but you you see that in the movies and stuff. And it, you know, I think there's this kind of disconnect from reality. Right. Um, Plus, you know, I think when people commit violent crimes, a lot of the time, I don't think they realize what they're about to do until like after they've done it. And then they might realize how bad it actually was. Like kids who go off to war, they have this idea of what war is like, but that's why there's so much post-traumatic stress because they come back and they didn't realize that it's not a video game. It's not like what you saw in the movies. Like, you know, um, the, the, the things that they see, like seeing your buddy get blown up by a landmine, you know what I mean? Or, and still alive, he's still alive, laying there on the ground, screaming at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, or an, another buddy told me he was in the, he's an American armed forces, right? And he, he's no longer, well, he's no longer active at least, but he told me that what they got them to do was stab, um, the sand bag people with the, uh, bayonet on their gun or whatever. And they had a military drill sergeant being like, do you want this? And excuse my language, but this is what he told me verbatim. But he said, do you want this sad nigger fucking your sister, fucking your, your mom, your girlfriend, your wife, you know, do you want him? Cause that's what he's going to do if you don't kill him. And he said, dude, he's like, it's messed up. You're there. And they're like brainwashing you, you know? And he's like, I left. And he's like, I have to erase these ideas in my mind because they get you to really believe to hate these people. You know what I mean? And so they need you to hate them so much because if you're going to commit such heinous, violent acts, you have to like not see them as a person. You have to see that them as this evil, evil force. You know what I mean? But then on the other side, right? that's what, that's what these soldiers, they don't realize this with these young kids. They don't realize that they're just like you just on the other side. And they think they're fighting for the good cause. And they don't think of themselves as terrorists. In fact, you know, they look at it as they're doing a good thing. Yeah. And it's like, Oh man, like, do we want to propagate that kind of stuff? Anyway, I mean, we're talking about violence. I think we should also talk about sex in media too. I think that's an important topic to get onto, but yeah, if you had anything else to say about violence, uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like we've, we've covered that pretty, yeah, pretty we went, extensively we went in pretty so hard. far. Well, yeah. anyway, my point is, and I started this conversation with writing crime thrillers and war movies and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of removing myself a little bit more from that medium. I mean, I suppose I might do it if I was hired, if I believed in the idea, uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm going to totally cut it out. I mean, I might still make movies like that to some degree, but I'm not going to, those aren't going to be the movies that I make for like when I'm on my own time, writing my own stories. I think what I'm going to start doing is writing, you know, diff- a different type of story, dramas and comedies and things yeah. like that. They're more interesting to me, more things about humanity, but, um, yeah, but, but kind of looking more at the world, like seeing more of the violence of the world, it's kind of made me go, I, I don't know if, I, if that's really what I'm as interested in. Yeah. And I don't want that to be my con- contribution as an artist is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause we have, we have so much of that. Mm-hmm. We, are, we already have so much of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what do you want to put out there? Right. And do we need more of that? And I guess, you know, I guess, you you know, you, you know, working as a screenwriter, I know, I mean, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that that stuff's going to come up because that's what sells. Right. But, um, I think as artists, we, we can find our own 
even if you're dealing with a violent movie, an action movie, a war movie or whatever, we can find our own, our own voice within it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think movies like platoon and, and things like that, you know, um, that's, that's why those movies are so famous because they had a voice. They weren't just a war movie. They had messages, you know, they had, they were saying something and it was more than just what was going on in spite of the action and the events being super interesting. It wasn't really about that. That was actually more of a backdrop for it. So that's all I really have to say on violence yeah. for the time being. So what? Now we're going to move on to sex. <laughs> Let's do sex. <laughs> Let's do the sex. Let's do the sex. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, the first thing I think is like, why are we so uncomfortable with sex and so comfortable with violence? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if you want to watch a great movie that explores some of that, um, this film has not yet been rated is a documentary that came out a number of oh, years yeah. ago. I did see that. That is terrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of how like we seem like our culture, especially in North America seems to be okay with like watching like the most gratuitous violence. It's like, ah, you know, PG, PG 13, <laughs> but you know, one nipple and it's like, R, R. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, I don't know if we can really take on like the whole rating system. Like that's, no, I don't think that's really what we're talking about today, but, um, but we can talk about also sex can be gratuitous too in some, you know, in some movies. And also like, I think, um, I don't know. I think it's just an interesting area to look at, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, remember we saw that movie actually it was a local guy in Vancouver. They made a movie. Um, Dan was in it. And there was a sex scene. It was super awkward in it. Right. What was that? I can't... It was on Netflix for a while. It was a good movie. Yeah. Um, they shot it very, like, off the cuff, very free form. Yeah, um, I know. Um, almost ad lib events. The first... Because it was a sequel, right? And it they was, did a the sequel. The first one was, like, uh, When Life Was Good. When Life Was Good. That's it. That was the first one, though. Yeah. And then the second... It was the sequel that you're talking about, right? No, or, no. The first one. Oh, had, it was the first one? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, uh, yes. Casey, yeah, 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 yeah. or something, and... Uh, uh, Kofsky is their last name. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, they're, they're good actors. They all did a really great job, but that sex scene was great. And I remember actually you in the audience saying like, that was good that you guys did that, like kind of showed more of the awkward humanity of, of it all. And I, yeah. I really agreed with that. I mean, I think that, you know, um, a lot of time sex scenes can be so like, they're just so perfect. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's nice every once in a while to see something that's like, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm going to say maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's, it's sex is something that's treated a little bit better than violence is in a lot of ways. Like there's, because it is kind of a difficult thing to get away with, you know, based on the rating system, people have to treat it almost like you're either going full on for it, you know, which is the cases when it can become really sort of like, I don't know, like super romanticized or it can be, um, super gratuitous. Yeah. Um, but I, I find that it's like, you know, there, it's easier for a film to get away with sex by having some sort of a, a deeper sort of idea running through it. Well, yeah. Like I'm thinking of Jeff Apatow's, uh, love knocked up. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's knocked yeah, up the, love as well. I thought yeah, they love treated as well. sex really. They did. I mean, he's really, he's really good at, at handling it well, because I remember in that scene that first they're drunk and they get back and kind of the, you know, um, the way they did it was, uh, you know, the way it was done was just kind of like, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes what ends up happening, like my, my issue a little bit with the granted. Okay. I am a man. I do like the female form, you know, like, um, it's nice to see a hot chick, you know, get naked. <laughs> what can I say? Hot chick. All right. Here come the bat. Here come the, here come the comments well, right hey, now. You know, we're, we're, it's all about being, it's all about being honest, right? It's, it's not about, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be somebody other than what I am. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a guy. I like women. I, I do think, you know, and, and it does, it turns me on. Okay. It's fine. But I do feel like a lot of the time, um, in, in a lot of things, the woman, it gets overly sexualized. Right. Yeah. And the men, it's like, you know, the men, it's like, Oh, he's shirtless. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's actually, I, I just, as you were talking, I'm like, Oh, you know what? And you already just sort of went there. Um, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. Like beyond just like the, the act of sex, but sexualization. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is one that is totally, <laughs> I would say much more abused. You know, it's just like, in, especially in the film medium and stuff. It's yeah. just like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Dudes who, you know, all, you know, have shaved chests and, you know, like, <laughs> you know, just glistening and, and then yeah, women just barely wearing anything or they're all like have a certain sort of supermodel look and it's, it's just not even, it's not reality. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I think what we're dancing the line though, is as we talk about this topic, cause we're really talking about kind of our own voice and message underneath it all. But, um, you know, it, we're dancing on that line of like commercial movies and movies that are actually like have a message and have art. And I think that both exist in our industry. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, I, and this, this show is all about artistic integrity, keeping your integrity as you succeed in the business of this industry. So I think that, you know, these, this is a great topic because to look at how you might not have to just do everything that commercialism wants you to do to make your movie sell and to make it good and to make it entertaining. But I think that a lot of the time, um, you know, we, I don't know, we might think like, that we need the sex scene to be, um, to be a certain way or for things to almost play out in a very stereotypical, very like cliche, almost very common way, because, you know, in certain ways it's like, okay, well, you know, you see the hot girl walking around in slow motion and all that stuff. And no matter how many times (laughs) it's been done, it still kind of works in a way because we're so we're, we're like, you know, but I also think sex is such a, we're so, we push for sex so hard. Like people want it so badly because in our society it's so restricted. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's still such a, like a, a taboo. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so the, 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 the more, what is it? The more you resist, the more it persists. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so the more you tell people they can't have something in a way, the more they want it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas violence it almost becomes a little bit more commonplace. You know what I mean? Which in, in, and I think this argument of like, well, um, people being like, like, for example, people get, I, I still, I still don't understand this, but people get upset about people breastfeeding in public, like, <laughs> like big deal. Like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to see that. You know, it's like, don't like, look, don't look. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and yet like, 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 where is this whole idea that we have to, you know, there's this whole thing about, um, 
this private world we have to have. Let's just pretend that that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, I, the internet now is like exposing everything. So, you know, yeah. like kids who are, you know, like <laughs> haven't even got double digits in their age already understand most of this stuff already, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. Things are changing because, you know, there's just more access to it, but it's better if they learn from a place of openness than a place of, I'm going to learn from my other like nine year old buddy about, you know, what sex is and what this is. Yeah. In some shadowy space where there's nobody to give any context on anything or like any sort of, yeah, it's just a bunch of images that you like have no idea what to make with really. Yeah. Other than your physical response to it. Right. Um, yeah. Like I think in terms of like, you know, what we're talking about, like, like violence and sexuality, it's weird that they're, they're sort of together, but you know, those are two things that are, that in our culture, they're abused. And I think that that's why we bring them up as like, what's your message? Because they, they do need to be treated very consciously because they are issues. Mm -hmm. You know, violence is an issue. Sex is an issue in many ways, you know, not just like the most overt ways of like, you know, with sex rape obviously is, is very much a big issue. Violence. I mean, there's, there's war and crime and, you know, that's, and, and all that. So it's, but I mean, there's so many other ways in which these things unfold and they are ugly and they are destructive. Hmm. And so it's like, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with taking them on. If in my mind, you're, you're showing it as such, you know, if you're, if you want to show the reality of abuse of it, but don't be an abuser of those things as well. Yeah. You know, don't abuse sex and don't abuse violence in, in your work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, I mean, I don't like telling people what to do, but I mean, it's just like, uh. no, I mean, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) you know, I think the thing is, is that, you know, to be, to be perfectly honest, I mean, people who, don't have a lot of integrity and don't want to have a lot of integrity are probably not going to listen to this podcast. In fact, they're probably going to be the ones if they do, they're going to listen to it and hate on it. You know what I mean? Because to them, these types of topics don't interest them, you know? And some people out there, I think, uh, you know, they want to just be free to do what they want and entertain and make their money. And, and they don't want anyone telling them what to do. And you know what I say? Okay, well, you know what, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. It's fine. No problem. You know, make your films, entertain people, make some money. Yeah, it's fine. But the thing is, is because I know for myself, when I was younger, I thought that way too. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you'll ever change from that. You might not, you might do that your whole life and feel just perfectly fine about it. And that's great. You know what? Because you know what you, for, for all we know, you know, um, you're only experiencing yourself, you know, you, you experience your life the way you experience it. And, and, um, I think you have to look at, uh, you just have to look at what brings you joy. What do you want? And I think if there's a darkness holding that in place, if there's a fear holding that in place, if there's a, you know, I don't want to do it because, you know, um, I think I need to be able to do whatever I want. I would look at it and go, well, I'm not saying do anything you want, you know, because in any, because in a certain way, every time someone does something in, in film, they expose a certain truth about our, our world. And I don't have to watch it, but in some ways, if people, if, if anyone's voice is ever snuffed out, um, I think that's a problem, but I think we should be able to, to make any type of movie we want. 
about yeah. anything. You know, and it can or be any about piece the of art, music, exactly. as well. Like, yeah. Exactly, we can do anything we want. The, now, now that we have total freedom, now it's about you deciding. Now that you have total freedom, what you want to do within that freedom, and it's up to you. And uh, so, I would say, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's negative effects for doing violence, and when you start to connect with that, you might not want to do as violent of a film. You know. Um, also, you know, I think. Uh, for example, if you maybe have a daughter or something and you start to see that, um, uh, how women are treated, you might start to think twice about it. You know, I know lots of men who have become fathers and, and they've definitely become a lot more respectful of like making sure women treat right. But it took them till they were father to like try that on until they had it personal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have children at this point, but I, I like to say, well, I don't want to wait until I have a daughter to figure that out. I want to figure that out now. So I start creating a world for, you know, when, or if I do have a daughter, or at least for other people's daughters, that they're growing up in a world that's a little bit better. Um, you know, and, and that's just where I'm at. And you know what? To tomorrow, uh, I might be in a different place and whatever, but I do think we should be free to make whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And, And then we have to, in many ways, I think what our talk is doing is we're trying to communicate to artists to help them have a better experience of their art and for them to really, um, to inspire them to take action, but to also inspire them to think and feel about what they do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I and I think the thing is like, yeah, like I agree, like people should feel free to make whatever they want. Um, and I think that sometimes just taking like a bit of a pause, like I'm not even saying like, it's gotta be a huge, like it doesn't need to be some massive endeavor but to take like just a a few moments just to like check in with yourself and just say like, okay, what am I saying here? You know, because in my experience, when you get clear, like the, the more sort of clear you get on that, it actually opens up a freedom, you know, to actually go beyond what you, what you thought you could do before, Mm -hmm. you know, like it doesn't actually take any freedom away. I, I usually find it opens up more possibilities right? But, um, cause sometimes if like, if you go into something too general and you're just like, well, I'm just going to make this and you know, cause that's cool. <laughs> right. You know, you'll run into all sorts of blocks. You'll run into all sorts of like stops because you're just like, um, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. No, you know what? I agree with that. <laughs> uh, I would say that there was a, a few projects I did when I was younger where I did it to kind of, because I thought it would be cool. And you do, you run into some problems, you know, down the road because, I think when you do something from a place of like, this would be cool. And that's your really only reason the, the superficial element of it, you know, it runs thin. And so then eventually, you you know, you start to, your movie just kind of lacks or your, your story or your idea, probably even with music, I imagine it kind of lacks that depth. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you talked about, uh, you talked about that movie, uh, um, um, Captain America Winter Soldier was it or was the other one? Um, Civil the, War? the new one Civil War. I think I've talked about both of those on yeah, the yeah. show. But, but, but um, you know, about something that is in many ways can be popcorn entertainment because it's an action movie superhero and not everybody has to get the underlying message of it, but it's nice that it's there because that depth opens up the market in many ways for more people. Yeah. Um, because people who want depth, um, you know, 
they're not going to necessarily want to watch a very superficial action movie. But if your action movie has a little bit of depth and some underlying messages, you've just opened up your market to the people who want a little bit more in their action yeah. flicks. You know? Well, you know, it's, and, and this is not necessarily a spoiler per se, but just as, a, as somewhat of a commentary on, you know, uh, Captain America Civil War, which has, you know, been really like critically and, uh, and commercially very well received, like, like very well received. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's been, it was praised, especially critically, um, it was praised for saying like, it's, it was interesting in that it actually, because of the whole sort of Marvel cinematic universe, all of the movies that we've seen, right. They're all tied together, right. They all occur within the same place, whether you saw, you know, like the Avengers is tied in with Iron Man is tied in like, they're all like existing together, even if they're not always referenced. Right. Right. And it references the movie references a lot of those, Hmm. of those, those movies and actually took on the violence. Like it actually looked at the violence within the Marvel movies themselves Interesting. and just was like a lot of, a lot of fricking people died. You know, like that's like one thing that like they really hit you with in that movie. It's just like mm. all of these like sort of popcorn movies that we had a great time watching and like all these crazy things are happening. People died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who's accountable for that, right? right? So it was a super interesting movie to watch just for that, right? Like that it actually took a look at that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'd actually, I, it makes me want to go and see it again now. Um, but it's still, you know, it gives you, it continues to give you a lot of those, like all of like the action that you go to see a comic book movie for. Right. But it has a little something more for you to sink your teeth into. Right. And whether you're conscious of it or not, I think subconsciously there's still a part of you that's absorbing those messages, mm-hmm. you know, like just like I'm, I know that, and sometimes it takes a while. It takes someone to point it out to you, but you know, can, I've been conditioned through the media that I've consumed from when I was young as to how, you know, things are supposed to go and how things are supposed to work. Right. And then you're confronted with reality and you're like, well, that's not how it is either. That's just a bunch of bullshit that Mm -hmm. I was fed. Right. Right. So it's, (laughs) it's important. Like, again, that's why it's important. These things like maybe not one singular film, not one singular song, not one singular, you know, piece of art is you can lay the blame on, but you know, sometimes there's these trends, you know, and if you, if you continue on a lot of these trends without being aware and without being conscious of, of what those things are saying, that does have an effect you know, it really yeah. does have an effect yeah, that contributes just, to a certain momentum of, of media in, in the world. Right? Yeah. And it's all running in the background of your mind. Right. Well, I think, you know, as a, um, as an artist, um, I like to think that I'm becoming more awake as a, as an artist and less, you know, um, less ignorant and less arrogant and less, uh, you know, just blind to what's how I've been programmed by previous media. And, um, I think that it's giving me the potential to have a real voice as an artist and to yeah. make something profound. And I say potential because I, uh, I feel like I'm very much on my journey of awakening as an artist and learning yeah. how to actually have and trust my own voice 
and trust that these thoughts and feelings and ideas I have, although they might not look like pop culture media, um, they have a purpose because they're my truth. And I think you have to kind of earn that and break old programming and kind of redefine your, your life. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it made me think of when you were saying it made me think of the chicken or the egg situation. And it's kind of like, um, you have to realize that you were hatched already with a preconceived idea and that, um, you, you know, in many ways, um, you got to break through that shell and kind of almost, uh, you know, in, in a sense, you know, you, you don't have to be the thing you came from is what I'm saying. Uh, and I think that's, you know, if there's, if there's one underlying important message that I could say at the, at the end of this podcast, and I'll probably refer to it later, is that our media up until today does not have to define your media today or tomorrow. Yeah. It can inform you. You can see how the world works. You can get into rapport with how the world works, but you, you know, I think as artists, if I want to encourage artists to do anything as I want people to learn how to work the commercialism of the business and, and, and understand the rapport of the business, understand what this medium is and what we need Mm -hmm. to kind of succeed on a mass level. But for people to also learn that their voice is valid and to figure out how to put their voice into this and not be prostituted by what was done before us, because we think we have to, you know? And yeah, I think you, you know, you're not, it's not reinvent the wheel, but it's think about how to make a better wheel. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, like there's nothing wrong, like, because in, in some ways, like, it's hard to say like, Oh, don't do this and don't do that. You know, like for the, for the first thing, it's like, well, create, if you've got an idea that you're excited about, go for it. Yeah. Like do it. Um, and, but I want to also say with that, it's like, make some shit. Like, yeah. and I mean shit, like, yeah. <laughs> like do it, feel free. That's one of those things that like, we're always afraid. It's like, Oh, I don't want to make anything that's shit. You know? Yeah. Please make something that's shit yeah. for yourself. Like just go and, and do it because it is almost like this great litmus test for you to, that you build off of. And you're like, okay, I did that. And you know, like, and maybe like, you'll never do anything with it. Right. You know, I know Stephen King's son, I can't, I can never remember his name, but like his first book was 10,000 pages. And he says that book will never be published <laughs> yeah. because and, cause it's awful. Yeah. And he says, but it was the most valuable 10,000 pages he he's ever written. Right. You know, because you, you kind of need to do that in a way, like you kind of need to figure out how to do it, you know, and, and, and you kind of need to have the experience of actually doing it. Yeah. Right. And then you go, okay, well, you know, I did this and I put a lot of time and effort into it. You know, like that's one of those things like we so often get so caught up in the results. It's like, but it's not valuable unless something's done with it and people see it and it's a success and whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's like, no, it's a success in the fact that you've done it. Yeah. Like, it, like that you did it and that you've grown from it. We, mm-hmm. we don't celebrate that and acknowledge that nearly enough in each other and in ourselves. Uh, but yeah, like make some garbage, make something that you're like, this is so shallow and devoid of any meaning. Great. Now you know that now you, you know how to write that. Yeah. Now learn how to write something that does have meaning. Yes. Right. But sometimes you need to do that, that thing. That's just kind of no good <laughs> <laughs> to like figure that out. Right. I, you know what? 
I would say that you need to do that thing. That's no good almost every time. I mean, I mean, I just know that as a screenwriter, um, I would say like my first drafts, you know, granted, granted, I, I have gotten to a point now where I've written enough scripts that my first drafts come out pretty good comparatively to most writers Yeah. now, but I've done a lot of work. Okay. But comparatively to what I can do and what I'm capable of as a writer, they are pretty shitty. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and it become, at first I'm like, okay, good. I got it done. And then it becomes, I become evidently aware that it's like, oh my God, whoa. (laughs) You know what I mean? But that's the beauty of it. You know, you, you got to get it out there. And I think, um, man, I was working with someone like a week or so ago, just with the same issue. And they were like, they were stuck on their script. And I, I run into this, I, I don't know how many times, but, but I'm like, they're like, I, I, I'm like 60 pages done, 65 pages done. And I just, I don't know. And I can't finish it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you editing it? And they always say yes. And I'm like, you gotta stop that. You gotta just finish this thing because there's another problem. Yes. You could be editing it and you could be doing a lot of great stuff. I I will not take that away from you. And in fact, you probably made things better, but it doesn't really matter because it's out of context. Like you said earlier, Pixar says you can start with a theme and it's good to do that, but you won't know it till the end. That's why you have to finish your script because you can't even rewrite it with the theme in mind because you don't know it yet. It's not completed. Um, it would be like, I mean, just take any analogy where it's like you ran a, you ran a, uh, you, you go to run a marathon and it's 60, 60 kilometers or, or 50 or 40 miles or whatever. It's like 40, 42 kilometers, I think. Okay. 42, no, 42, 42 miles. No, 42 kilometers. 42 kilometers. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you know about this. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I dated a marathon runner of once upon a time. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. (laughs) Well, so you're knowledgeable about it. Okay. So the 42, 42 kilometer marathon. Fine. So, um, in the Americans kilometers, you know, that's what the rest of the world does. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, what's a kilometer? (laughs) Anyway. Um, so you, you, yeah, just Google it. You'll figure out miles. One mile is (laughs) 1.6 kilometers. There you can do the math. (laughs) So anyway, uh, it's like doing a marathon and running like 36 of those kilometers and being like, you know what? I could have run that marathon better. I'm going to go back the last six K. I'm going to rerun that six K because I could do that last six K a lot better. It's like, no, run the damn marathon, do the whole thing and then do another marathon. Yeah. Do the same marathon next year, but do it better. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't run back 6K and do that 6K again. You're yeah. doing twice the work. You know, by the end of it, if you keep doing that, think about how many kilometers you would have run. If you ran, a, if you ran like six kilometers and then ran back three and then ran forward six and then ran back 12. I mean, by the end of the day, you would never, ever finish that marathon. You would be so exhausted. You know what yeah. I mean? So the script is the same way in my belief. You run it like a marathon, you get it done, you see how you did, then you go back the next year and you do that marathon again. You don't redo the marathon as you're doing it. Yeah. No, I, I that's that's great. It's I such it's, a simple metaphor, but I love it. And the and the beauty is because like you, I'm sitting here and being like, well that's that's ridiculous. You know, you don't just go back and start like rerunning a section. Right. <clears throat> Cause you don't think There's, about you don't that have, when writing a script. Yeah. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have a choice because you're still going to be slower. Mm-hmm. 
if you go back, it doesn't matter if you I know. did that last bit better. And a script works the same <clears> way. You're gonna be you're gonna be tired out of redoing that same part. You're gonna get sick of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. And and it's still not gonna be like you're still not gonna get as good a result at the end of it. No, right? That's the thing. It's like by running, it doesn't matter if you if you could have run that last six k a little faster, you're still going to be slower than if you had just decided to yeah. do it, exactly. <laughs> you know, be like, oh crap, you know, I didn't push, you know, you look back when, when it's all over and you say, oh, you know what? Like I maybe like came out a little bit, like pushed myself too hard here. I fatigued me over here. I, you know, took one of my, you know, they like take these like weird jelly packs or whatever during marathons yeah. <laughs> or whatever. So I had this here and it gave me cramps at this point. So I know not to do that. That slowed me down, like whatever. Right. Like, but you need to get a sense of the whole picture of, of what happened. Yes. You know? Yes, I think so. I think that's a good analogy of like screenwriters could take that. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not a musician, but I can imagine writing a song is a little bit like that too. I mean, creating anything, I think that I think that we need to, and you know what though, I think we need to do that. And the reason why this is my real belief, my ultimate, more, uh, profound belief around that is that if you edit while you create, you tell yourself that you don't trust what you just did Mm. and you teach yourself to doubt your own voice. And I think that that is devastating to an artist. So it's not so much about completing the script. I don't actually think that is is as important as teaching yourself that what you do is okay as it is. It does not need to be better. You did the best you could do in that moment. And that was great. You know what? Like I'll tell you the burning blues, which will probably get made one day. But when, when I did my rewrite, I looked at it and I, I erased almost every single scene except one. And I rewrote it. And I'm willing to do that again for our next write, um, because the way I look at it is nothing that, that I've done, I have to be attached to, but everything I did at that time was perfect for where I was at. Yeah. It was the best that I could do. I wasn't trying to screw myself over. I wasn't trying to make it bad. I was really trying to do the best I could in that moment. And I think also for, and I, you know, I'm just going to kind of go on this topic too, a little bit further, but I think choosing your days when you feel good to write that's another devastating thing writers do to themselves because now you're teaching yourself in your psyche. You have to remember this. You're programming your psyche all the time that you can only write on a good day. Well, that's real trouble because I'll tell you what, man, as a writer, I've gone through like two or three weeks where I've had bad days. Like, and I'm just like, I'm in a funk right now. I'm like, I'm in a, I'm in trouble. I'm just like struggling. If I stopped writing during that time, there's no way I would be hired as a screenwriter. Yeah. So, but you know, what's ironic is weirdly enough on your worst days, sometimes the most magnificent stuff comes out that could have never come out on a quote unquote good day. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, you know, like I've seen this, especially with actors, right. Uh, where, actors like they, they, they come in and they're just so, you know, almost defeated. Right. Like, because they, they're like, I don't know what I'm doing, that this isn't working. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the space, but you know, for whatever reason, they don't really have much of a choice. You know, they're in a class. It doesn't matter. You got to put your scene up or you're in a play 
and the show must go on, as they say, right? And and sometimes when you can kind of actually embrace that, really beautiful things happen. Like you're saying, like, um, you know, when, when you kind of just say, fuck it. Right. You know, like when you completely just let go, like that's like, you'd be surprised at what can happen there. Uh, there was an old like master, uh, master ballerina or something who, or ballerina. What, what's, what's a male ballerina? Is there a different word? I don't know. That is not Damn. a topic area that I know. Anything well, about. you know, I just thought maybe <laughs> I, you're a wealth of knowledge, yeah. Brandon. Uh, um, that, but, that is interesting, but I've never thought of a male ballerina. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> they are, they exist. Yeah. There's plenty of them. Um, but like one of the great masters and, uh, famously would basically exhaust themselves before the show like would be doing like all kinds of things like to just like complete like, and you're thinking, this is, that's so crazy, you know, would just physically exhaust themselves before going out. And he was famously quoted as saying like, I do that because it leaves me with nothing left to hang on to. Right. And it was just like, and it was just like complete freedom on, on the stage at that point for them. And it was like, Whoa, that's really crazy. You know, like really learning to embrace, you know, this whole idea of, of this control over everything. Right. And that inspires me. Yeah. Right. You know, I've shared once I had this coach, he played in the premier league, um, which is the highest level in, uh, in English football. And he used to run the hell out of us before we would practice. And especially in tryouts, he you ran to the point where you like, I want to puke. And then, and then you worked on ball skills and then you showed what you could do. And his theory was, I want to see what you can do when you're tired. I don't really care about what you can do when you're in perfect condition. And that's what separated us. You know what I mean? Right. And I was fortunate enough to make the team. Um, but that was a beautiful lesson in life because that's really when it matters. It doesn't really matter when you are feeling perfect. You know, it's those days when you're playing through that exhaustion and you know, our team, um, you know, I think we had a quality about us that when times got tough, we had this kind of endurance, this kind of, you know, fitness that people didn't have. And it wasn't even just physical. It was in your mind. You knew you could perform when, when you were, when everyone else was done, you were still going, you know? And I remember, uh, um, and I, I thank him and I actually thank a a few of my other coaches, but I remember one time, um, you know, I was on a field and they're like, like, and they were talking about me and they're like, this kid is everywhere. And one of the guys on the other team came, he's like, you're you're like the, uh, the energizer bunny. He's like, you just keep going. I'm like, and I, and I was like, it was a nice thing for them to say, but he just recognized that I was just not, you know, not, faulting it, you know, and even though inside of myself, you know, I had battery acid in my lungs, my legs were like feeling like you're like, Oh my God. Like I just want to fall over. All I want to do is wave for a sub right now. Yeah. And, but you're going because, you know, you, you realize that your, you know, your, your body is not necessarily the guide. And you know, it's, it's the reason why this is so inspiring that you shared that with me is because I realize how I haven't, in to my full extent, taken those lessons into my adult life beyond soccer and mm-hmm. beyond this stuff. Like 
I have a bit with writing, like I write every day, no matter how I feel, but I'm just thinking about the potential of what I could do if I just took that one lesson in life. You know what I mean? Because it's what it teaches you in your mind. It's, 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 it's not even that I don't even know if I was more physically fit than, than any player on the field. It's just that in my mind, I believed that I could perform when I had to, because like, if you didn't, you were just cut. You didn't make the team. You sat on the bench. It didn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost like it's, it's, it's an act of trust, right? You know, in, in yourself and in whatever you want to call to. Right. But you know, it, it is, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, we always like to, to, you know, famously for so many events in life, they say, well, you're never, you're never really ready. Right. And, and that, that is such, that covers such a broad spectrum of, of, of events in our lives. And I, I think because we always want to be like, okay, well, I want to just want to make sure that like, I, I say the right thing or I make the right stroke or I play the right chord or whatever. It's like, you don't know that (laughs) you don't know what the right thing is. You don't know what that one piece of lyric is going to be, or that one thing is going to be if you're too busy thinking about what it's going to be. Right. It's like, okay, what's this, you know, like, like I'm going to try and like conjure up in my mind and and come up with something that's super, that's really clever and is going to really emotionally impact somebody. Mm -hmm. You've already lost. Mm. You've already lost. Like when you're, when you're in that state of mind, when you're in, when you're in your creation state, like I know you talk about this, like you just, talked about it, like with, with screenwriting, it's like, you just write it. You know, I loved it a while back in a podcast. You said when I'm writing my first draft of my script, I've got my creative hat on. Yeah. Right. And then, (laughs) and I wear that hat and I just, I just write it. I just write it. And then later I put my editing hat after, but only after it's been completed. Right. And then I come back to it. Well, it's the same thing right? Like you, it, with, whether you're, you're an actor or an artist, like you can't, when, when you're working from your head and you're working from like what you think is going to be the thing that is going to be just so profound for one, you don't, you can't possibly know that you can't ever possibly know that, which is part of why there's so much doubt when you start working from that place Yeah, is because deep down, we know that you can, that we can never know that. So it's pointless in trying to listen to it. So you've got to give, you've got to give up that sort of control, right? Yeah. Like you've got to just do it. You've just got to do it. And you've got to give yourself over to the process of it. You've got to give yourself over to the creation of it and, and the unknown yeah. and being like, I don't know, this might be shit. It might not be because it's only from that space where you might somehow stumble and find that piece of lyric, Mm. that one chord, that, you know, that moment in that scene, that's the only way that you'll find it. Yeah. But it has to be in the moment and being truly engaged with it. Engaged. Yeah. Key word. That's really, that's a really important word. I mean, I would say that that's, that is really kind of the thing is like, I think about acting, I think about directing, I think about writing, I think about any of the stuff that I do it's when I'm engaged, you know, and, um, I'm not saying that being engaged is going to produce perfect results, but it will produce something that is, um, I don't know, 
something that is like authentically genuine about where I'm at. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, sometimes I'll write scenes and I'll be like, and I, and, and I really, this is one of my practices is to really trust where I'm at that, that I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say that I would say every thought I have, I'm like, Oh, it's brilliant. But I would say that, you know, if I have a feeling, if I have an idea that I should do something or try something, um, I really try to go at it with writing. And I found that it, it might not have been ultimately what I use, but it gave me this seed of yeah. truth that grew, that grew into something. And if I tried to grow the plant bef- before I planted the seed, it wouldn't work. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the spark that creates the fire. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that's the thing is you don't really know where it's going to go. I also agree. I also believe that, um, we are always preparing. We're preparing, uh, for situations all the time. I mean, and it's just up to us how much we're willing to prepare, like how, you know, um, you never know, like, for example, I just take uh, sports, you know, soccer, you never know when that game's going to come where you'll have run the whole game and it'll have been kick and run back and forth all game. And you have played the wing, which is like one of the biggest running positions when it's back, when it's kick, when it's like a kick and run game, it's terrible. You're just like (laughs) trying to get free, mark your guy, get free, mark your guy. You know, you're just like back and forth and you run the whole field like so many times. Yeah. You never know when, you know, you're going to be at a game where it's going to come to the point where you're going to need that fitness level to be holding up because that's going to make the difference between if you can get free from the defender and if you can still mark the guy so he doesn't score a goal against your team or set up a cross. And, uh, that is all about preparation, you know? And so if you're willing to, to, to put in the fitness, to put in the time, you know, you'll, you'll never know until you get to the moment, but you know, when you're in the moment, I can tell you this, all the times that you sat down and you didn't go for that jog or you didn't do that thing, or you, you didn't do your work. You remember that in that moment. You're like, God damn it. I should have done it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's too late now. I got to do what I got. You yeah. know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I love this topic that we ventured into. Um, I feel like, I, I feel like if we learn to trust ourselves, you know, and, and we're talking about kind of our, our voice and communicating through our medium and all this stuff. But if we learn to trust ourselves and, um, start to learn to listen to what we think and what we want to say, as opposed to what we think we're supposed to say and to think what we're supposed to do, yeah, we're going to start to find the right answers, you know? Um, and I shared this with you before the podcast, but I'm going to share it on, on here for everyone else is that last night I stayed up till 5am editing uh, a, a little, a little video, you know, for, a project. And, um, and I had so much fun. I was like a little kid again. I haven't edited anything in a long time, but I just got the bug and I I did it. And I was thinking while I was like three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, I'm like, I really need to go to sleep. You know, it's like, I got to get up early tomorrow. I got stuff to do. I'm going to be tired. And I'll tell you, like I woke up, uh, I think I woke up at eight o'clock. So I slept for like three hours and I've had meetings all morning and now we're doing this podcast and it's like getting later in the day. And I feel great. And the thing is, is that I think when, when I'm listening to my voice, sleep kind of becomes less of a concern. You know what I mean? It's like not, not such an issue. Well, I mean, it's because it's like, there's, it, it, there's an energy that runs through you, you know, it's like, it, it makes you, it, 
calls into question everything you think about, you know, the kind of sleep that we need. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm, I encourage people to try and get good sleep. Yeah. But, you know, in those moments where you're just like, you've got like a wave of just like enthusiasm and inspiration that's going through you, like you can just like, you can go like, you'd be amazed at how far you can go. And the thing is like, well, you know, I'm sure you'll probably sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, but I, you know, I, I, I think about, um, I think where I want to be in my life and I, you know, I is, is I want to be in my life where I don't want to sleep. I want to be alive. I want to be awake. And I, you know, I, I, I find, I don't know, I think sleep's really good too. I think I, like, I think it's important to sleep. I think where, where it's a problem is where you want to like lay in bed and sleep in and you know, you feeling you're, you're telling yourself you're tired throughout the day or I'm telling myself I'm tired throughout the day. That's where I'm like, you know, why, why even tell this story about being tired? You know what I mean? Like then go to sleep. If you're really tired, then go to sleep. You're yeah. like, I can't, I'm at work. Well then choose to be awake. I mean, you know, and it's like, well, my body's guiding me, but that's the thing is like, yeah, your body is guiding you, but you got to teach yourself. Like your body is there. It is happening. It's not guiding you though. You need to decide that being awake is a certain choice. And I think for me, and, and you know, this is a big topic for me right now, but it's about, I could have like 12 hours of sleep. I could get, I could just have in perfect sleep for all month. And I will still be tired if I'm not driven by purpose and why and yeah. motivation and I have passion. But I have also gone for like, I was averaging three to five hours of sleep for a while while I was when I was beginning my business. And I was so excited at that time. I was creating these scripts. I was doing this stuff. Yeah. And I didn't need sleep. And even in the middle of the day, I was barely tired. And, um, you know, and, I, and I've thought a lot about that because I went through a period of time where I was like, just, I just want to sleep all the time, you know, and then I was tired in the middle of the day and it's because I didn't, I wasn't really passionate and I'm not saying it's always easy to connect to your passion, but I would say that when I am passionate and I am clear on my purpose and why sleep and tiredness doesn't really factor in so much. Mm-hmm. The trick for me is figuring out how to stay that connected to my purpose and passion. Yeah. But I think, um, you know what this talk is starting to discover for me is that when I trust my voice and when I like honor that curiosity and that kind of, uh, desire, um, to really do what I love, I find my aliveness and my awakeness starts to come, you know, like last night when I was, when I sat down, I, I you know, it was probably, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was midnight or 11 or something, but I wanted to do this editing thing. And I, and I trusted that I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And I, there's a part of me that's like, you should be responsible. You should go to bed at 11. You know, <laughs> it's a Monday night or Tuesday yeah. night or whatever. Right. And so then this other part of me was like, no, like, like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, what I really want to do is I want to edit. I want to create this thing. And I was like, I'm not going to sleep thinking about creating this thing. Let's just do this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there was a point where my editing system actually crashed and it was probably about three or four in the morning, somewhere around there. And I was like, okay, I guess that's a reason to go to sleep. And then I was like, no, reboot this thing. Finish <laughs> this job. You know what I mean? You're going to feel good about getting it done. Yeah. And I did. And it took me till five. It took me another hour. But then I slept for three hours. I woke up and I've been rocking it today. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not sleep all night. It's fine. But I, I, I listened to me. I didn't do what I thought yeah. I had to do, which is what I'm, was my point. Right. Mm-hmm beautiful. Tell us about the beer, Evan. Oh yeah. This is from main street brewing company. Nice. 
And, uh, yeah, this is a new one from them. And this bad boy is... Oh, I thought I had it here. Uh, I can tell you it is called their Bonsai Belgian Ale. Okay. Bonsai Belgian Ale. It is a single hopped... Which I'm actually not quite sure what that means, but it is a single hopped Belgian style ale. You know, I like it. It's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a dryness to it, a little bit of a sweetness. But you know what? I, you know what? I've been. I, I don't know if you've been having this experience drinking it, but it kind of almost gives me that taste like I've eaten like a bag of chips, <laughs> 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 like potato chips, like salted potato chips. I don't know why. But I keep like, and I, I okay. keep, I keep coming back to it. I'm like, I feel like I just like had some chips. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, I can't say that that dawned on my mind, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I had a little taste of it and I was like, yeah, I really, really like that. It's like, not like a, like a Belgian, like it's really like, it's a pretty strong beer. It's like 6.9%. Nice. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's kind of like rich and kind of creamy, but it's pretty drinkable at the same time. Oh, yeah, like, no, it's, it's pretty easy drinking. I really like it. I really like it. It, um, it, it's, it's, it tastes good. It's, um, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit drier than what I usually choose. Yeah, it does. It is very, it, it dry. has a bit of an aftertaste I find, but like very, very subtle that kind of stays with you afterwards, but I like it. Cause you it's know, like potato chips. It's like potato chips. <laughs> I don't know. I've ne- I don't know why my palate is, yeah. is, uh, is that's what I'm getting, but whatever. Uh, you make me want to have some potato chips. Yeah. This beer would go well with some salted potato chips. I'll yes, indeed. There's some plain old salted sea salt. <laughs> <laughs> what have you? Yeah. Kettle. Kettle. Or, yeah. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. good kettle chips. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So so what was our topic again? <laughs> we were talking about, um, uh, about the, uh, the meaning about, um, being connected to like the, the ideas that we're, oh, that yeah. we're presenting. <laughs> well, um, you know, speaking of 6.9. See, okay. Yes, indeed. What the hell were we talking about? Yeah. People are like, I love the end of these talks or I hate the end of these talks. And they're so drunk. Um, no, um, I don't actually feel that drunk, but maybe I am. Uh, the, you know, I think what we need to do as artists is we need to, I think this is a, a call out to myself as much as it is to everyone else, but to, to keep learning to trust our instincts and our voice. And although it may seem off, it may not seem to fit with status quo. It may not seem to fit with commercialism, but to follow that path, to, to look into that, to try that out. Um, and I'm not saying that your voice has all the answers, but I think that we need to learn to trust where we're at. And, um, I think confidence comes from being willing to, to do it your way and trust that your way is a way and that it's, a you know, that it's a path you can take and that, um, it's valid. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think in, in, um, actually I read a quote today and I forget the guy's name. I was trying so hard to remember because I wanted to share it, <laughs> but they said in school, the problem is with school is you learn a lesson and then you get tested on it. But in life you get tested and then you learn a lesson. Mm. 
And I really like that a lot because I believe that's more how it is, is that you're tested before you know the answers. You do your best while you're tested. Then from those mistakes, from whatever you did, from the best that you did, then you learn. That's how life goes. Education tries to teach us that we can learn everything before we get tested. It's just not the case. Yeah. You know, I could, it's definitely not how you break new ground. No, it isn't. And I think for, uh, you know, um, anyone who's like venturing into the arts, who's, who's new to the arts, I think, uh, you know, um, go test yourself, go try some stuff. You know, I think about filmmaking, go make a film, be tested, making a film, then you'll learn a lot. And then whatever you read in books about filmmaking, you go, I get that. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to go over time. I know what it's like to, you know, whatever. I mean, yes, learn some basic principles about filmmaking. Don't just go out willy nilly, like get a guy, get some guidance, get a mentor, get someone out there who can kind of give you, you know, um, but read some books. Sure. But don't think that those books and what you learn is going to give you all the answers. Just get enough, get enough to go on and then go and do something. Yeah. You know, when I wrote my first script, I read, I read one book on screenwriting, actually my second script, (laughs) but I read one book. The first script I wrote, I didn't even read a screenwriting book. I just did the best I could based on story and it won first place in a prize festival. So go figure. (laughs) But then I read a book. It was called screenwriting 101 by something Hicks, I think is his name. But, uh, basically teaches you how to write a script. He teaches the structure teaches. And you know, back then I didn't have a screenwriting program, so I had to do everything on word and actually, <laughs> oh, oh, I know. And oh I figured out the God. tabs. I figured out Evan, I figured out the tabs to the exact spo- point where to press tab so that dialogue would start or names would start or parenthetical would start exactly the right point. My scripts were perfect because I figured it all out because this book taught me how, and I never had a screenwriting program. So when I'm writing in a screenwriting program, I'm like, this is so wonderful. (laughs) This is so great. It's like it already knows what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah. And like, I don't have to tab three times. It (laughs) automatically makes stuff capitalized. You know, like it's like wondrous to me anyway. uh, So anyway, when I started, that's, you know, that's how I did it. And, uh, I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't, I mean, there's probably, Celtex was around then and stuff was probably around back then, but I I just didn't know. I didn't have any contacts in the industry. I was literally, it was just something I wanted to do. So I had to figure it out on my own, but I read one book. I figured out enough on what to do with screenwriting. And then I started there and then I wrote another script and then I read another book and then I wrote, and then I was like, Oh yeah. When I read the next book, I was like, Oh, okay. I get that. I get that. Cause I've written a couple scripts now, you know, but if I had never written a script, I mean, most people would read Screenwriting 101 and they'd be like, I don't need to know this, this stuff about, you know, where to tab it over to. I know that stuff. Is it useful? Probably not, but I know it. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I get it. And so like when people have their scripts, when people give me their scripts and their scripts are like out of format, like, you know, I notice it's probably an old school quality, but like I notice because I had to learn how to actually do it, you know, like like myself, like figure it all out and, and do the math in the friggin' program. So it would, so when I opened up a document, it was automatically that way. Yeah. You know? And, um, anyway, uh, they probably even like now, I mean, you can download an app and it's like screenwriting. So I think the thing is, is when people tell me they aren't done scripts, like, I'm like, it's so easy for you. You already have the program and you already have everything. So 
like before I could even write a script, I had to figure out even how to how to make a script yeah. look proper. You know what I mean? The thing is, the 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 it's not the program that's the problem. No. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the fault of the program. <laughs> so anyway, so, so um, you know, for the screenwriters out there. Um, well, I don't know. You got anything else to say? I, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe we can wrap this guy up here. Yeah, we've done pretty good. Yeah, we've done pretty good. Pretty good, I think so, at least. All right. Um, um, well, let's wrap it up. Give a couple final points yeah, and we'll call it a day. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's... Uh, you know, like more specifically, uh, you're an artist, you're dealing with something, um, like that has to do with, uh, like violence or, or sexuality. Just be super conscious about what you're saying about it. You know, those are things that are abused and, uh, don't be an abuser of them. So be aware, especially in, if you're in film and in music, those would be like the two things that the two areas where I feel like they're most objectified, Mm. um, objectified. And, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, not idolized, but like, um, Hmm. glorified. Oh, glorified. Glorified. Um, so yeah, just, like be aware of that. So like, cause we started off with the message. So it's just like, yeah, just like, yeah, begin. And also uh, the other thing was, uh, don't be afraid. This was kind of like a weird one that kind of came up, but it's like, don't be afraid to make some shit. Yeah. You know, like, don't like, don't be afraid to like, in fact, invite it, mm. invite the possibility of making shit and being okay with it. And, uh, and then towards, towards the end stage there, it was, uh, you know, we got into a bit of a different train of, of things, but I liked it. You never know where these things are going to go. You never know for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, you just, you don't know, you don't know what the right thing is necessarily going to be. And, uh, so don't try and be right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. That's all I got. Well, you, you covered a lot. That was yeah. good. Okay. Um, right. I feel like there's something that I'm missing, but go ahead. And if it comes ponder to for me. a moment, yeah. while I wrap up a couple points, I want to bring back, um, that a marathon analogy and metaphor. I think that's an yes. important one. I think when you're creating, uh, just run the marathon the first time and run, you don't need to go backwards and redo it. You know, don't exhaust yourself. You know, the best thing you can do is just complete it and then you can run the marathon again, but don't, rerun the marathon while you're running the marathon. And so don't edit while you're creating is my point. Um, and because I, I think not because it's going to mean that you're going to, it's going to take longer for you to get it done, but because it's going to teach you that you're not doing things right, or you're not doing them good enough. And I think that that's a real problem. I think that's going to build a really negative belief in your mind that you can't trust what you do the first time. Um, and you know what? Whatever you're doing right now is the best that you can do right now. And you know, when you do it again, it'll be a little bit better. But like, what if we were doing this podcast and I was like, wait a minute, Evan, you know what? That, that wasn't the right point. Let me go back. Let me, let me just go back here. (laughs) Actually, what I wanted to say, like, you imagine how annoying that would be? Entirely unedited and unscripted folks. That's right. (laughs) So I'm going to do the next podcast and the next podcast will hopefully be better or whatever. It'll be where it's at, but it's the best I can do for you right now. And, um, 
And I think that's how creators, as creators, we got to be. We got to, you know, and we get better and we get better. And the other thing I'm going to say is that the, your, your voice comes out when you trust yourself. When you edit yourself, I, I think you cleave and silence your internal voice. I think you start to, um, and I'm not saying that your voice is always putting out the best messages. Not at all. I think sometimes your voice is putting out some pretty terrible messages, but it's your voice right now. And it's okay because it is where it is, you know? So you might write stuff that's super superficial or very like, uh, I don't know, it's racist or sexist or whatever, you know? And that's just where you're at right now. So you might as well be honest about it instead of trying to pretend you're not that. And you can edit it because no one ever, ever, ever has to see your first draft anyway. You know what I mean? And, and then it'll expose truths to you. Like when I write a first draft, so I'll write it. And then I I look at it. I'm like, wow, this says a lot about me. <laughs> and it's kind of like, uh, humbling, you know? And it's also kind of wonderful because I start to see who I really am and I start to see where I'm really at. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the time when I was doing it, it seemed like it made total sense and it seemed like it was great and it was perfect, but it's usually a few weeks later, sometimes a few months later, sometimes a few years later where I'll look at it and I'll be like, whoa, that's where I was at then. That's how I thought about the world. That's how I saw things. And now, you know, especially if you read between the lines of what you wrote. Um, so I'm thinking it's better to be genuine and, and expose yourself in your first draft and then you can re-edit it. You, you know, as you grow as a person, you'll grow as a writer. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's my message. And I think that as you, if you do that, you'll be better at communicating your voice as opposed to everybody else's voice by kind of being a me too copycat creator. Yeah. That's what I got to leave people with. Beautiful. You remember that last point? Or no, it, not really, but gone? I feel like it, it, I, it was probably covered in it here. It was summed and, up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just say that. People listen to the <laughs> podcast, you know, I'm yeah, sure they can re-listen. Yeah. <laughs> We just do the, we just do the sum up as a nice little thing for you. So, you know, yeah. In case you don't want to listen to the whole thing, you just cut to the end. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you were drinking like us and you forgot everything that was talked about. Anyhow, thank you so much, everybody. Until next time. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.